Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. This is where we gather together virtually, digitally, electronically uh, every week to talk to people that uh, I respect and want to converse with about a variety of different topics. Uh, Be sure, if you don't already, to check out the other podcast, Russell Moore Podcast, where we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Genesis right now, answering your moral dilemmas. But here on Signposts, Uh, What we do is to converse in order to look for those pointers toward grace, those, as Walker Percy would put it, signposts in a strange land. And I've been really looking forward to this conversation for a long time because this is Ray Ortland, who is one of the people I respect most in the entire world, both Ray and his wife, Janie, and his kids, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in the conversation. Ray is right now president of Renewal Ministries and also pastor to pastors at Emmanuel Church, which is the church that he planted uh, here where I live uh, in the Nashville area. And before we bring Ray on, uh, let me just tell you, I would read Ray Ortland's writings long time before I ever met him and benefit from them greatly. I uh, often joke that uh, Ray had a book about uh, the connection between idolatry and adultery, uh, the the marriage uh, analogy throughout the Old Testament, that is just a a fantastic book. The first title of it was Whoredom, which was a difficult (laughs) book to read on an airplane, you know, or somewhere like that. But the second edition, God's Unfaithful Wife, was easier to read on an airplane, but just as good in terms of contents. I'd been reading Ray for a long time. I think the first time that I ever met him was I uh, was in charge or, or part one of one of a group of people in charge of a conference that was taking place years and years and years ago. And one of the speakers uh, to that conference was a pastor who apparently was jealous of Someone else who was on the platform didn't want to speak to that person and refused to come at the last minute. And so as we're thinking about what to do, I said, what about Ray Ortland? And I knew we had almost the amount of time it would take for him to drive from where he was living at the time to where we were. And I thought, there's no way, but called and he said, sure, came, preached, And to me, that's kind of a metaphor for life. This is someone who has been uh, not just ready in season and out of season with the Word of God, but also who has the character to back that up. And what I want to talk to Ray Ortland about today is something that I know many of you, regardless of what you're doing, regardless of what age you are, regardless of what stage in your life— that you're facing, and that's that question of transitions. And and the reason that I thought of Ray immediately is because I was at an event 
when was that, Ray? The the celebration that Emmanuel had for yes. you, was that last year? It, it was last September. Okay. All right. And it was one of the most joyous things I have ever participated in in my life. And I thought to myself all the way home and uh, just about every day since, that is what one should hope for uh, in terms of one's ministry. If you, if you can see just a glimpse of the, the joy that, that was there in that room, that's really as good as it gets in this life. And so uh, Ray has experienced uh, transitions as a pastor, as a seminary professor, as an author, uh, and now leading a ministry. And so, Ray, when you're thinking about the people who are listening to this, some of them 18, 19 years old, some of them 78, 79 years old, uh, and everything in between, and some of them are trying to decide, where am I and what? What's God doing in my life? And I think sometimes people assume that people like you, you know, God called you to ministry as a young man, and you have known all along exactly where you were going at every stage of it uh, with, with complete certainty and complete uh, foresight, and that, the, the, and that they're kind of alone in sort of not knowing what, what's oh, next my. for them. What sort of advice yeah. would you give to someone who's, wow. who's thinking that way? Well, my life has not been predictable and uh, foreseeable or even controllable. Isn't, isn't every life kind of like river rafting? <laughs> and where it's really out of control and the current is carrying us. We don't know what's around the corner. I remember uh, C.S. Lewis somewhere, he says, in this life, we are never safe, but we have plenty of fun. And I think that's true. The Here's something that doesn't change along the way. Because uh, we have these sometimes painful, intense moments of transition, change, upheaval. Here's one thing that doesn't change. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do. And he said that right in the middle of his crazy river rafting life. Here's the constant through all the changes, all the seasons, all the transitions, all the upheaval and change and so forth. He said, I press on. He says that twice in Philippians chapter three, I press on. He didn't say I cower in fear, wondering what's going to body slam me next. He didn't say I stockpile food, weapons and water against Armageddon. But he said, I press on toward the goal, so he's got purpose, for the prize, he's looking for the reward, of the upward call, there is nothing second rate in Christ, nothing to settle for, but I'm on this upward trajectory of growth, adventure, discovery, and possession, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. That's, that's an, that is the Christian mentality right there. You know, one of the things that I do sometimes, which I think probably will just reveal how crazy I am more than anything, but that I like to do is to uh, think about a point in my life five years ago, 10 years ago, however long, that I remember, uh, an event that I remember, and just imagine if I now were talking to that person, that me, <laughs> what I would say. 
uh, what, what sort of advice and counsel I would give to that younger uh, self. If you were talking to Ray Ortland back at the beginning of your ministry at Wheaton College, and he says to you, you've seen uh, the trajectory of, of my life so far from the future, what advice would you give to him? What a fascinating question. Well, I was really unprepared for life. I was so immature. And I have a lot of embarrassment as I look back on on those years. And of course, I'll feel the same way 10 years from now as, as I look back on right now. But I would say, believe, dare to believe, according to scripture, that you literally matter to almighty God above. Never fear that you have fallen through the cracks, that he's tired of you, um, that you um, have forfeited your future. Um, I would say you will be buffeted. You will stumble. uh, You will experience failure. uh, You will be mistreated and you will sin. And Christ, way down to his deepest heart, is committed to you. He does not despise you. He, at the risen Christ right now, and moment by moment, is not tired, and he is not tired of you. So the key, the definite article, the key to your future moment by moment is keep bringing your needs to the risen Christ. Hurl yourself into his arms. He will see you through. I think I would say that. And then I'd pat myself on the back and say, go boy, go get it. (laughs) (laughs) What about with with bringing things before God? What would you say? I talk to a lot of people who, when they're going through those really difficult moments, they say that they find it almost impossible to pray. And even people for whom prayer comes very easily, they find themselves numb uh, to prayer at the very time they need it most. What, what sort of counsel would you give to that person? It reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's wonderful little book, Life Together. Um, and in the, as you know, that it's the book is divided into three sections. The first section is amazing. The second section, I have no idea what he's saying. The third section is really amazing. And one of the things he says, I, I think I can paraphrase him, when, the, when your faith is weak, the faith in your brother or in your sister will be strong. So when you can't even pray, and that's really scary, because when things are going well, we we can glibly tell ourselves, well, you know, I can always fall back to prayer. But what if you can't pray? I think that is a, a wonderful moment that actually God gives. It's actually a gift, Russell. And and we receive that very difficult gift, and we we go to a brother, we go to a sister whom we trust, whom we respect, and we say, I feel so defeated, so confused. My anguish is so profound. I don't even know how to pray right now. I'm actually terrified, way down deep, maybe God hates me. I mean, look at the facts. Look at the evidences. Look at my life, this bombed out smoking rubble like Berlin in 1945. Look at my life. And then that Christian friend is a lifeline 
That Christian friend can pray when I can't pray. That Christian friend can validate me when I can't validate my own uh, reality and my own experience. That Christian friend can be stable when I'm freaking out. I'm a huge believer, as you know, in the power of Christian community, real, honest, raw, vulnerable Christian community. So any listener that is in that that sorrow and that, that brokenheartedness right now, surely God has given you a trustworthy friend whom you can call right after this broadcast and say, could we get together? I'm not doing well. I would, I, I strongly recommend that. You know, I was talking to two uh, people uh, this week, one of whom was saying to me that he, he feels like God has called him to his ministry. He doesn't uh, think objectively that God has called him away, but he just wants to quit and, and leave because he's, he's suffering. And then I was talking to someone else who said that he believed that uh, what he was doing had come to an end, uh, that he was in some sort of transition point, but he didn't know what was next because he was scared. You know, he had, had no idea, and he didn't want to uh, leave something and regret it. And so it, it were two different conversations, both of which were about fear, and the one person is wanting to quit, but afraid if he does, he's doing the wrong thing. The other person kind of wants to stay because he's afraid to move on to the next thing that God has. How would you help those two people to know which situation they're actually in? Because they're, uh, they're both kind of afraid that they're the other. <laughs> the, the one who thinks maybe God's calling him to leave is afraid he's, he's going to quit and, and short circuit something that he's supposed to be doing. And the other guys are fearful of the opposite. So how, how could they make sense of that? Gee, I wish I had a great answer for that question. <laughs> but we, we do know this. The entire story of ancient Israel is a story of, it's a journey. And they're on their way into their future. And they have many different experiences that are confusing along the way. You know, the Bible began to make sense to me a whole lot more when I read The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. And I tried to read the Ring Trilogy in my 20s, and I was too impatient because, as you well know, there are so many little subplots. And I kept thinking, come on, get to the point. Just tell me how it turns out. Um, But then I tried again in my 50s, and I couldn't put it down because I had come to realize that's what life is like. And that's what the Bible is like. And the Bible is complicated with so many subplots because our lives are complicated with so many subplots. And the promise of God to us all is, I'm going to lead you into these complexities. I'm going to lead you into uh, these perplexities, and I'm going to lead you through them. So um, two practical recommendations. One is, and my dad taught me this, and I really respect this. He said, when you have a major decision to make, whether to leave, whether to go, whatever, put it before the Lord, wait on the Lord. So many times the Bible calls us to wait on the Lord and ask him for a sign. The God of the universe is well able to to give us an evidence uh, of what his plan for us might be, some striking providence that uh, confirms or redirects or whatever. 
So wait on the Lord, ask him for a sign. The other thing I'd recommend is gather, again, go into community, gather some trusted uh, Christian friends together, have dessert together one evening. Explain in a very confidential, safe uh, uh, context, here's what I'm facing, here's the question I'm asking, I honestly don't know what to do, and I welcome your counsel, and could we get down on our knees together and just ask God for help? I think God honors uh, that um, openness and vulnerability. God is all about building a new kind of community where people experience that support uh, in a way they never could have if Christ had not come. So those are two practical recommendations. I've had just in the last few months, three friends in ministry die by suicide. Oh my, oh my. And I think there are many people in that situation right now. And all three of these were people that I had, in one case, I had just talked to one a few days before uh, who said, can we get together and talk about uh, working together on a mental health uh, initiative uh, that he was burdened about? And I never had another conversation with him. He was, he was gone. What would you say to someone who's in that situation of suffering, who just seems to be in such darkness that they feel as though they're, they're too far gone? There are people listening to our conversation right now, of course, Russell, that are asking those deep and profound questions right now. Thank you for even sort of putting that on the table because a lot of us identify with that. Well, I think the first thing I would hasten to say is that when we are at our worst and we are so deeply injured and frightened and depleted, and ashamed, I believe that is when the heart of Christ above is the most tender toward us. I believe the parts of Ray Ortland that I feel the worst about, that break my own heart the most, I believe those are the parts of me that Jesus loves the most tenderly with the deepest understanding and sympathy. I fear deep inside, the risen Christ above in his holiness and righteousness, he probably despises me. I mean, look at me. I'm a mess. In fact, he should despise me. He'd be wrong not to. If he has any self-respect at all, he will look at me and just shake his head and, and wonder, really? Really? That is, that thought is not of the Holy Spirit. Jenny helps me when I spiral down into self-rejection, self-hatred, um, anguish, and so forth. And I start talking to her, and she's so sweet and so kind up to a point. And then she's fed up with my um, self-hatred. And she says, Ray, that thought, is that the Lord talking to you? And it's so helpful and so clarifying. When we are at our extreme end, that is the very place where we can stumble into, collapse into the real love of Christ. We are finally ready 
to be loved. That's what I would recommend to anyone. Just dare to believe it. Dare to believe it. You know, you mentioned Janie, and um, one of the things that, among thousand things, that I really admire about you is your marriage, your parenting. I I said to you one time, uh, your children, uh, you're the only person I know who could have uh, an accrediting agency accredit your Thanksgiving dinner as a theological seminary based upon <laughs> the gifts of your your children who are all uh, amazing and uh, just just amazing. And when I'm reading something, preparing for something, or just, just reading it, and, and I say, this is a fantastic book by Ortland, I have to define which one, uh, because there are, uh, there are so many of you at work in this. How... How did you cultivate your responsibilities as husband and father, especially through when you look back and you you think of those key transitions when you're moving from one ministry to the other, or you were uh, you were a seminary professor who then became a pastor, and all of those those transitions? How did you know how to invest in your in your marriage and children in the way that you did? Well, I wish I'd done it better, but two things. One, my wife and children were such a a weighty consideration for me in those uh, moments of transition, and I, I wanted to do right by them. But I was comforted with the realization that if God is calling me, God is also, and just as much, calling them. They're not the baggage. They're part of the call, just as much as I am. So when we moved from the Chicago area to Augusta, Georgia, and Gavin went with us to begin high school there, he was part of the divine call. And that gave me confidence and that, that gave me comfort. And the other thing I, would, I, I came to cherish was this. I know this sounds crazy, and maybe it is, but in our earlier years with the kids, Janie and I actually talked together, <laughs> asking the question, okay, how are we going to raise these kids? So the next question is, what is ultimate reality? And we looked at Exodus 33 and 34. Moses prayed, please show me your glory. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So there is ultimate reality, the glorious goodness of God. So we said, okay, we have parachuted into a universe where ultimate reality is the glorious goodness of God. How then could we at 424 Bush Street, Mountain View, California, create a little home where our children would find it easy to believe that ultimate reality is the glorious goodness of God. How can we create a family where it's not hard for them to believe that, but it's kind of obvious? So we just thought it through at that level, and we wanted it to be a home where the children had lots of affirmation, lots of attention, joy, reading Winnie the Pooh on the living room sofa after dinner, tubby time after that, patting them on their little behinds and singing them to sleep every night. And just that that mega commitment 24-7. By the way, Russell, children, young children are not a death sentence except to our selfishness. They are, in fact, a gateway to tremendous joy. We, we deeply believed that if the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy God forever, then apparently enjoyment, sincere enjoyment, is the highest form of love. So we said, let's enjoy our kids 
and teach them to enjoy life and set that tone in our home. And by God's grace, for his glory, maybe the Lord will put his hand on us and touch this family such that our kids have a sense of who, who God really is and his glorious goodness. And the Lord was really kind to us. You know, one of the things I notice is I, sometimes I will, if I'm not speaking somewhere and I'm in town, uh, our church meets early, and then I will uh, sometimes uh, drive over to your church and slip in uh, the back door and uh, and uh, really, really love uh, worshiping together uh, at your church, Emmanuel Church. And one of the things that I notice is there are a lot of people there who came to Christ there or recently for whom this is their maybe first church uh, experience at all. How did you learn how to relate as well as you do to people who are unbelievers, uh, uh, to people who are brand new believers? Uh, I mean, it's not something that one would uh, that one would typically think this PhD who's uh, written weighty books on biblical theology and knows all of these languages and uh, so forth, is able to communicate with musicians and uh, just this whole broad range of, of people. How did you learn to do that? <laughs> I wish I did it better. But I am struck that, and it means a lot to me, that Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I am a debtor. And then he mentions lots of different kinds of people in the community and in the mission field. So when Paul says, I am a debtor, he means I am not a demander. They don't owe me a hearing. I owe them communication. So here I am as a pastor of this church. How can I present the ministry of the gospel in such a way that it's sufficiently clear and authentic and original and compelling that a sincere person could sit under the ministry, be exposed to the ministry, and think, hmm, maybe Jesus is different from what I've always thought. And uh, so that, that was the kind of the pre-understanding I brought into uh, my preaching. And uh, I, I deeply believe that the, the key to uh, communication is not being cool, but it's just respect for people and it's humility before people. I was having a conversation about you not long ago with someone who has known you for a very long time. And I said, you know, one of the things that strikes me is I know that Ray has had some suffering in ministry. I know that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that you're able to minister to the rest of us is because you have. I said, but you know what? Uh, in all of that, I said, I can't name who anybody is that Ray has any resentments against. I would have no idea I couldn't do it. And he said, I couldn't either. <laughs> and, uh, and that was really remarkable to me uh, that that's the case. And so I'm wondering, how does one, uh, because we're all, gonna, we're all going to go through things in our lives and, and whatever our callings are, how how does one keep himself or herself from becoming cynical or untrusting uh, of people when when maybe you've been disappointed in people or just resentful and cynical how how does one 
avoid that? And I'm not saying that you have completely uh, avoided that. I'm I'm sure you've you've had like uh, all the rest of us to to grapple with that. But by God's grace, it certainly seems to have um, you certainly seem to have been able to uh, come come out of whatever that was with joy and with this uh, magnanimous sense about you. How how can that happen when it's easy in life just to increasingly become more untrusting and more cynical? Well, I'm glad that you can't see <laughs> my <laughs> interior world. <laughs> but um, two things. One, I have a very meaningful and personal sense of call, call from above. I feel deeply, completely called to the ministry of the gospel. And what is it that I am called to display? And my own complications, my own uh, disappointments, whatever they might be, that is not the point. That's not the Lord did not call me into ministry to display those things, to put those things out in front of people. Who do I think I am? This is about Christ. This is for the display of his glory, which leads me to the second consideration. And that is, I mean, you know how I feel. Also, I, I just long for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will not visit, he will not put his hand of blessing on a ministry or a church or an individual, except for, for the glory of Christ that his name would be above every name, that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So you and I, we are completely at one in this. We just long for an historic awakening in our time. I just want to be the kind of man that in his grace and for his own glory, God might be able to use to that end. Uh, so, to, to use an unworthy analogy, I've put all my chips over on that square. That's all that matters to me. Everything else is secondary. Well, I could have this conversation for eight hours today really easily, but I've, I've, I've already exceeded the time I asked from you. So I've got one last question uh, for <laughs> you, and that is your dad. One of the things that I have noticed is the influence that your father, a pastor, a leader, the influence that he has had on your life uh, up to this point. What did you learn from from your dad? And is that something that gradually dawned on you uh, in your life? Or did you know at the time growing up what was extraordinary about your father? I wish I had, and I deeply regret this, I wish I had appreciated him more when I was a younger man. I was so immature, but in hindsight, and I did grasp this during his life uh, before he went to be with the Lord, and I'm profoundly grateful for that. But I came to realize, as I matured, I came to realize that my dad was the most authentic, and I think I need to use the word radiant, Christian man I've ever known. Uh, I saw him up close. I saw him in public. I saw him in private. He was authentic. He was, and there was simply a grace upon my dad that was divine. Uh, the psalmist said, those who look to the Lord are radiant. My dad looked to the Lord in the most um, personal and authentic and real way. And the Lord put upon my dad a radiance that was captivating. 
if I could <laughs> just have one gift from above personally, I, I, would, I would want to be a man like that, that people could look at and say, you know, if God can give that kind of grace and bestowment to Ray Ortland, he can give it to anybody, maybe even to me. <laughs> That's a good word. Well, Ray Ortland, I thank God for you and am grateful to God for your friendship and your example. Thanks for being with us on Signpost today. And Russell Moore, on behalf of every listener, we just admire you. We rejoice over you. We pray for you. And we're so thankful for your remarkable ministry. Thanks for letting me on Signpost today. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, to signpost today. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you listen to it. And it helps us for people to find the show if you leave a review, uh, if, if you do. So if you do that, I would really appreciate it. And if you're listening on a smartphone, you can tap the cover art and you'll find show notes, including uh, resources that you might have missed. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts.